Army recruits pushed to dangerous levels of exhaustion. Two police officers lied about deaths in custody. McKinsey, the scandal that keeps on giving, and First Nations leaders snubbed by Trudeau in health talks. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 8th. I'm Nora coming to you from the forest city of London, Ontario. Here is today's news. First, we start in New Brunswick this morning, where at Canadian Forces Base Gagetown, two recruits who started their first week of basic military training were pushed so hard that they landed in hospital. They were being treated for dehydration and something called rhabdomyolysis, a condition caused by muscle injury. The scoop was reported by David Pulezi at the Ottawa Citizen, who cited retired and serving military personnel who said that the physical fitness training that led to two people being hospitalized, quote, verged on sadistic. Pulezi reports that rhabdomyolysis is a condition that has raised concerns within the U.S. military. If untreated, it can result in death. This isn't the first recorded case of rhabdomyolysis in Canada either. In 2000, a military college cadet developed rhabdomyolysis. The military claimed that the cadet had pushed himself too far, while the cadet's family argued that he was pushed too hard by people in charge. The cadet was kicked out of the military and had lifelong medical complications as a result of the condition. Now to Montreal, where a police ethics committee has found that two police officers lied to the Bureau of Investigations while they were being investigated for their role in an in-custody death. It all started with a traffic stop on November 7, 2017. David Shitea Kalubi, a black man aged 23, was arrested on two outstanding warrants. He was sent to the police station to be questioned. Reported by Anthony Narestant with CBC Montreal, Officers Dominique Garnier and Mathieu Perret questioned Kaloubi that night. They asked him if he had any medical conditions, and Kaloubi said he had sickle cell anemia, for which he was taking medication. Kaloubi didn't have his medication with him, and he was held overnight. The next morning, he was sent to a municipal courthouse where he was detained. Kaloubi died after being held for a few hours there. A judge ruled that his death was unrelated to a medical issue, though it came out that he had an enlarged heart and he was developing heart disease. But what the ethics investigation found was that Paré and Gagné had a responsibility to pass on Kaloubi's medical information to the courthouse staff, which they did not. Because Kaloubi died in the custody of police, the province's Bureau of Investigations, the BEI, investigated the circumstances surrounding his death. Gagné and Paré both claimed that they were unaware of Kaloubi's health condition, something that did not hold up under scrutiny. When investigated, their testimony was contradictory, both of what each other was saying and of the other evidence gathered by the ethics body, including camera evidence. It was clear they had asked Kaloubi about his health condition and he had told them he had sickle cell anemia. In an article about Kaloubi's arrest by Camilla Hinkson for CBC Montreal in 2017, Kaloubi's mother and brother asked what role did Kaloubi's race play in him being arrested in the first place that night. The family said the night he was arrested, Kaloubi was getting a lift home with a friend. They had stopped at a dépanneur and Kaloubi went inside. In the meantime, the police pulled up and started talking to his friend. 
At some point, the family says Kalubi returned to the car and the police turned their attention towards him. But it is unclear why, they say. Now to L'Affaire Kinsey. I think it's nice to call it that with a French name, as it's been French-language journalists who've been doing the heaviest lifting on this file. They have, again, discovered another McKinsey nexus that should make every Canadian's eyebrows hit the ceiling. Reported by Thomas Gerbet for Radio-Canada, it seems like McKinsey had a direct role in creating the Infrastructure Bank of Canada. At the top of its leadership are several former McKinsey staffers. First, there's Aaron Corey, the CEO of the Infrastructure Bank. He worked for McKinsey, and before a parliamentary committee that is studying these contracts, he said that the Infrastructure Bank had given three contracts to McKinsey between 2017 and 2020, worth a total of $1.4 million. Corey became CEO in 2020. He couldn't say whether or not these contracts were put to tender. But it goes deeper than that. The very existence of the Infrastructure Bank can be tied back to McKinsey. It was the Advisory Council on Economic Growth, a committee I've mentioned on the Daily Podcast before, that argued that we needed the Infrastructure Bank. You might remember that the Advisory Council was created in the lead-up to the 2016 budget to inform Bill Morneau on what should be in that budget. Of course, 2016 was the Liberals' first big budget. This committee, chaired by longtime McKinsey staffer Dominic Barton, suggested that an infrastructure bank could encourage private sector development in Canadian infrastructure investment. And remember, Dominic Barton then went on to be Canada's ambassador to China, which he quit to become the head of global mining giant Rio Tinto. It isn't just Aaron Corey who was appointed to the bank from McKinsey. Gerbet found that Stephen Robbins, head of strategy, and Anil Jaswal, the director of their strategic sector, both came from McKinsey too. Digging by Gerbet and other Radio Canada journalists have found that the federal liberals have given McKinsey at least $116 million in federal contracts since they took office in 2015. It's worth noting that most progressive organizations who have something to say about the creation of something like the Infrastructure Bank were opposed when it was announced in 2017. CUPE panned the bank's stated goals, warning that things like tolls and user fees would be tacked onto new large-scale infrastructure projects as a way to generate income for the private investors who back each project. CUPE's press release from the Times said the Canadian Infrastructure Bank takes privatization a dramatic step further by privatizing how infrastructure projects are developed. Private investors will be able to pitch infrastructure projects to the bank through unsolicited bids. Private investors will also be able to design major infrastructure projects from the ground up, taking over an important role that's best played by the public sector. None of this, of course, is to mention the fact that it's highly possible that McKinsey clients won some of the Infrastructure Bank's contracts. Of course, we can't know for sure because McKinsey refuses to say who they work for, but it seems like a dream for a massive corporation that advises its clients on how to do business and how to get contracts to create a large public body that these corporations can then pitch to to get the contracts. Full points to McKinsey for figuring out how to best game the system. And finally, big news out of Ottawa yesterday as the federal government agreed to send billions more dollars in spending to the provinces for health care. But First Nations leaders are denouncing the fact that they were not offered an actual seat at the table. Instead, the Prime Minister promised to advocate for Indigenous people in his talks with the provinces. That's right, the Prime Minister said he would advocate on the behalf of Indigenous people. 
CBC's Brett Forrester is reporting that Assembly of First Nations Chief Roseanne Archibald had requested to be involved in these talks two weeks ago. While healthcare for on-reserve Indigenous people is managed by the federal government, off-reserve Indigenous people have to contend with provincial systems like everyone else. And there's often fighting between jurisdictions that places Indigenous people in between both governments, something that led to the creation of Jordan's Principle, which promises that jurisdictional squabbling will not stop an Indigenous person from receiving care. Archibald said that Tuesday's refusal to ensure that Indigenous people have a voice at the meeting of the provincial leaders is contrary to the spirit of reconciliation. Forrester quoted Gaius Wesley, chief of Kicheswan, saying, quote, It is inappropriate for the prime minister to say that he will represent First Nations at these tables. It needs to be a First Nations leader. It's a wrong step the prime minister has taken. Wesley's community in northeastern Ontario is plagued by systemic underfunding and flooding that creates annual crises in the community each year. He was joined by Allison Linklater, the Grand Chief of Mushkagoa Council, representing eight Cree communities in northeastern Ontario, including Kicheswan. She said, quote, how can they say they advocate for us and say what's best for us? It's totally way off base. Are they trying to fix us again? Aside from how morally reprehensible it is to exclude Indigenous voices from these talks, it makes especially no sense considering how much these communities need to be part of discussions about what is not working and what needs to happen to address healthcare issues. Folks in northeastern Ontario, like in so many places in this country, are often sent hundreds of kilometres away to deal with issues that most Canadians would be able to treat with a visit to their local emergency room. Now, just before I sign off, I do want to mention the death toll in the earthquake that has hit Turkey and Syria has surpassed 11,000 dead, and many expect that that will continue to rise. If you're wondering what you can do to send support, look up some of the more established Canadian charities. Many have said that they will be doing work in Turkey and Syria, and you can probably pretty easily figure out which ones would be the most efficient to donate to. That's all for this morning. It is Wednesday, February 8th. I'm Nora. There's a chance that tomorrow I won't be able to record, so don't be too sad if you don't see a new episode. We'll have to see how my day goes.